Good morning. Welcome again to the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll continue to tread through this good book. We have, as uh, Jim alluded, made it into chapter 15. Um, and as I stated last week, it has been a true joy for me to sit under the preaching of 1 Corinthians and for my own soul to um, have to wrestle with some of the text and uh, not only that, but just to grow as a church um, through this book has been good for this church. First Corinthians 15, today we'll look at the first 19 verses of this chapter, uh, verses 1 through 19 or where we'll be. Here, here's our aim this morning, and then we'll read the text together. Our aim is this, that we would see the eternal hope in the gospel, that we would see eternal hope in the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to many. We want to see that. We want to see it again this morning. That's our, that's our aim. Well, let me read the text to us, and then we'll dive right into its content. Grace Church, Hear God's word. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And after he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ was raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. 
Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would open our eyes, that we may see wonderful things in your word. Father, let us see again the truth of the resurrection and the impact of the resurrection. And Father, we pray that your gospel come this morning, not simply with words that we see before us, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Do it, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'll be honest, this morning's sermon is simple. And it is my hope that every person in this room will hear the gospel. Not only hear the gospel, but would receive it. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, that's my hope. I hope the children that are with us this morning will hear the gospel preached and believe. I hope those attending who have not placed their faith in the gospel will hear truth today and hold on to it. And I hope the saints that are present will enjoy the reality of the gospel again today and stand in it. The first verse of chapter 15 says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. In verse 2, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Well, I don't think it's accidental that all that Paul has been communicating in the chapters leading up to chapter 15 um, have been concerning what we as believers are to do when we assemble together. And I don't find it to be an odd transition. If you, if you just read a little bit of chapter 14 and then you jump to chapter 15, there, there seems to be this massive shift, this this almost disjointed transition from what he's addressing as they assemble together and then he just shifts right into the resurrection and the gospel. But the reality is, I think that there is a lot of continuity between chapter 14 and 15. After exposing their man-centered tendencies and selfishness when they gathered together when they were assembled, he points the church in Corinth to directly look at Christ and to say this should be your sole focus. Christ, the gospel, the resurrection. Look here. Quit looking at yourselves and all these other things that have you distracted and, and look here. This is what is most important. There are so many wonderful things that we could give our attention to when we're together, but nothing outshines the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is it. And Paul says he's making the gospel known to the Corinthian Christians. And by that, he is simply putting it before them again. This is not new to him. He, he, he knows that they've already received this. But he says, I want to make it known to you again. I believe this is an essential discipline for every saint. We should do this every day. 
Let's make ourselves acquainted with the gospel again and again and again. So that when we wake up each morning, we don't say to ourselves, well, I know the gospel, I'm going to live life. No, let's reacquaint ourselves with the gospel on a daily basis to keep oneself from becoming distracted by lesser things and things that are truly vain. Paul's helping us war against that mindset. And if you take your eyes off Jesus and the gospel only for a second, immediately selfishness creeps in and you're perceived self-wisdom like the Corinthians leads you down a man-centered path that is divisive in the life of the church. Some of the commentators suggest that Paul is shifting to this subject of the gospel and resurrection because there were those who were denying the resurrection on several fronts and that is undoubtedly true. Some contested that the resurrection didn't take place they they took a scholarly position while some denied the resurrection from mystical uh, mystical standpoint a mystical point of view they, they found all kinds of angles to deny the resurrection is essentially what I'm saying and Paul's making it very clear that there is zero doubt that the resurrection not only was being challenged but listen to this Paul was making very clear that it was true And I believe he had a greater motive in placing the gospel before us again. The gospel behind this transition that he makes from chapter 14 to 15. And the transition, the motive, is he's regathering our focus. He's helping us put our aim back on Christ. Paul says, I preached the gospel to you. You received it. You're now standing in that belief which saved you, if you are indeed holding fast to what was preached, which some may not have continued to do. There's always the potential of of accepting those into the membership of the church who confess the truth of the gospel but don't place their faith in it. It's possible that they would speak the gospel with their tongue, would say that they embrace that, that they believe that to be true, but never put their faith in that. That's possible. They appear to be in Christ, but ultimately time will prove otherwise. The gospel will only be consummated if they continue to hold fast to its truth. No matter the reason, those denying the resurrection, those not placing their faith in the gospel that they confess, or those who believe the gospel... We should have our eyes fixed on Christ. Not on lesser things while assembling together. The preaching of the gospel is the remedy of all those ills. Paul begins to communicate the essentials of the gospel to the church in Corinth. They weren't unfamiliar, but they needed to hear and see it again. So he says in verse 3, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for the sins, excuse me, for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Well, there's three things that I want us to see this morning as we begin to push through the text. The first is, we find in these two verses, is the essentials of the gospel. Paul's giving us the essentials 
of the gospel. But I also want us to see in this morning's text the effect of God's grace. So we don't just need to mentally recognize what are the essentials of the gospel, but we need to see the effect of God's grace when it's accompanied with the gospel. And then the last thing that I want us to see this morning is the hope of the resurrection or the hope of God's people, which is the resurrection. Well, let's look at the essentials of the gospel this morning. I want us to notice that Paul is reminding them of what is most important. He says it's of first importance. And then he makes it clear what that is. The gospel according to the scriptures. Saints, we will never get beyond the gospel. We may grow in our love for the gospel and our understanding of it, but we'll never grow beyond the gospel. This is as good as it gets. The good news of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection is as good as it gets. Here's even better news. We can revel in that for eternity, and it'll never get old. Please always be aware of those that might specialize in some sort of teaching that doesn't zero in on Christ and the gospel. Listen to me. If any man begins to give his attention to a portion of God's word and you you never hear him talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, beware of his teaching. Because he's giving attention, yes, maybe to a portion of God's word, but it's going to become distorted if the gospel is not at the center of what he teaches. So what Paul does is refocus the Corinthian church on the gospel. And he teaches. He teaches the death of Christ. And that that death is confirmed by his burial. And then he teaches the resurrection of Christ. And that resurrection is confirmed by these appearances of Christ post-resurrection. Well, I want us to look at those, those two things, the death and resurrection and the confirmations that follow. The death of Christ, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We must emphasize this morning the fact that Jesus died. He really died. It wasn't a hoax. The world wasn't tricked. He died. A sword was placed into his side and the evidence of his death followed. We must recognize that Paul adds some equally important information to the purpose of that death. He says that death was for our sins. What good news. When we see according to the scriptures written here that Jesus died for our sins. I can't help but think back to Isaiah 53. When he says, according to the scriptures, surely Isaiah 53 was part of what he had in mind. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. And verse 12 says, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, 12. Christ became 
a substitutionary sacrifice, meaning he died the death that we should have died, and he paid the price that we should have paid for our sins. Our sins against the holy God can be forgiven because Christ died for them. That doesn't get old. And he was buried. Verse 4, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This burial was the confirmation that Jesus actually died. He was placed in a grave. And almost impossible to move stone was rolled in front of that grave. He was completely dead. The blood no longer flowed from his body. He was wrapped in cloth and placed in that tomb. And the reason that he was placed in that tomb was evidence of his death. It was evidence that he was dead. But verse 4 continues, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures it's the resurrection of Christ again his raising like his death was according to the scriptures and again Isaiah 53 comes to mind it gives evidence that the scripture was pointing toward this reality listen to verses 10 11 and 12 of Isaiah 53 I'll just read a portion of each of those and keep the resurrection in your mind Isaiah 53 10 he will see his offspring he will prolong his days. How can a dead person do that? Verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. And then verse 12, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. These are all descriptions of Christ back in Isaiah. It's according to the scriptures. Christ indeed rose from the grave on the third day in victory. Now listen to this. That tomb had power. That ground was solid. That grave that he was in was definite. And yet, by the exertion of God's power to subject all things to himself, he rose Christ from the grave victorious over all the power that sin and death may obtain. He rose above that, beyond that. He crushed that. He is alive, conquering sin and death, demonstrating his power to the world. His death and burial were evidence of the humility of Christ that he would come down to us that he would be Emmanuel, God with us, that he would humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. But the resurrection is Christ victorious. The resurrection is Christ making a way for us to be raised up to him. Raised to walk in newness of life. Raised to be more than conquerors. Raised to inherit eternal life. Raised to be glorified with him. So that what Christ gets, we get in his resurrection. This was the fulfillment of God's promise to his people. This is how God saves us. This is how we are rescued from the wrath of God that all sinners face apart from Christ. You must place your hope, listen to this, not only in this person, but what he accomplished for us. 
his resurrection. All your hope has to be wrapped up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then that resurrection is confirmed. Look with me in verse 5. It says, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of them who remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. All these instances, these appearances of Christ, are to confirm that he really rose. That it is a historical fact that the attempts to debunk the resurrection of Christ could be proven wrong. He did, it wasn't hallucinations. 500 people don't hallucinate at one time. Christ rose from the grave. This resurrection was confirmed by those who knew him best. Peter and the twelve. Minus Judas. He was confirmed, risen from the grave by 500 brothers at one time. The apostles saw him, and listen to this. Paul, the great persecutor of the church, saw the resurrected Christ. He was confirmed as risen by those who knew him best, by those who would recognize him. I love the way Jeffrey Wilson says it. The truth of the resurrection was confirmed by unimpeachable witnesses. Among those reputable eyewitnesses was Paul himself. Paul is not only pointing us back to the simplicity and the importance of the gospel, but he is communicating the effects of the gospel of God's grace in his own life. Therefore, the second thing that I want us to see is not just the essentials of the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection, and appearing of Christ, but the effects of that gospel on Paul himself. Look with me in verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored... I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Well, I want us to see several things in those three verses. The first effect of God's grace that Paul mentions, I believe, is that God's grace in the saint produces true humility it produces true humility like Paul we can always look back and see the shame of our sin but by God's grace by the grace of God we all are what we are today because of the gracious death and resurrection of Jesus if Christ doesn't die if he doesn't raise from the grave then Paul's great sin was the persecution of the church. What would ours be? What would our sin be that wouldn't be forgiven? What would the trajectory of our life be apart from Christ? But we are what we are today because of God's grace. And Paul's humbled by that. None of us are fit for the kingdom of God. But because of the gospel, we are adopted children. We're heirs to the kingdom. 
This is an unearned, unworthy position that we have in Christ, and that should certainly humble us. Second thing that I believe the grace of God does, the effect of God's grace, is it embraces God's sovereignty. Listen to what Paul says. I love the phrase, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's all owing to God's grace. He says it's all owing to God's grace. I am what I am. God has made me this way. He's made me who I am. It's all the work of Christ. It's his grace. The third thing that I want us to see, the third effect, is it encourages gospel labor. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. See, when Paul received God's grace in his life, when the gospel entered in, this truth, when he embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, a switch clicks for Paul. He, he had always been a hard worker. He was, the, he was uh, renowned for his persecution of the church. But listen to me. His labor for the gospel was planted deep in his soul because of the benefits of the gospel. It's God's grace that caused him to labor in the gospel. God's grace encourages gospel labor. When the true grace of God in the saving gospel of Jesus touches your life, you are compelled to labor for that same gospel to be realized in other people's lives. If that's not the case, then you have to wonder what gospel are you putting your hope in? If you're not putting your hope in the gospel that saves humanity, what are you putting your hope in? And if you are putting your hope in the gospel that saves humanity, why are you not sharing it with the rest of humanity? It seems like a natural response to faith in the gospel. And it's one that Paul possessed. There's a fourth effect. Listen to this. We don't want to overthink it. We just want to stay simple. But the grace of God extends the grace of God. Listen to what Paul says in verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I but the grace of God with me. The grace of God saves Paul. The grace of God causes Paul to share the gospel with other people. And Paul's saying, I'm doing all that because of the grace of God. It's just like grace upon grace, like it's mentioned in John chapter 1. And so as the grace of God flows through Paul, more grace is coming, more grace is coming. So grace produces grace in the life of a believer. And then the last thing I want you to see is the grace of God, the effects of the grace of God evangelizes the unbeliever. He says in verse 11, whether then it was I or they, so we preach. So we preach. So we evangelize. So we tell people about Jesus Christ. And so you believed. By God's grace, Paul's great concern is that the gospel be preached and believed. He wasn't concerned with accolades just evangelizing the whole world. <laughs> Paul just embraced it. He really did desire to evangelize the whole world. The whole world. He's constantly thinking about where can I go next with the gospel. More people need to hear about Jesus Christ. That was his mindset because he had been truly affected by the grace of God. Well, the third thing that I want us to see this morning is the hope of the resurrection, the hope of God's people in the resurrection. Look with me in verse 12. It says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also in vain, also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in, the light, in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Well, I find verse 12 to be very informative. If Christ is preached, then something must be preached about him. That he's been raised from the dead. You can't preach Christ and not preach the resurrection. He says, if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead. That's preaching. If you aren't preaching the resurrection, you're not preaching the gospel. You're not preaching Christ. Saints, tell the world about Jesus. Tell the world that he has risen from the grave. Tell the world of all the grace of God that comes to us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, listen to me. We're to be pitied. We're to be pitied. Listen to why. He, he, he gives us five reasons. Our preaching is in vain. You're, you're wasting your breath if Christ hasn't risen from the grave. Not only that, worse than that, you're not just wasting your breath, but you're actually opposing God. You become a false witness. You're saying something that's not true about God if Christ didn't raise from the grave. We're testifying against God if we preach the resurrection and it didn't happen. And the dead will not be raised. They will have eternally perished if Jesus hasn't risen from the grave. And our faith in that resurrection is worthless. It's worthless. And most alarming to me, we are still in our sins. We're still in our sins. The preaching of the resurrection should produce one of two results, I believe, in, in every person on the planet, either pity or faith. If we preach the resurrection, two things should happen. Either faith will happen or pity will happen. If, if you reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you look at people who've put their faith in it, you can only pity them. You can only pity them because they believe in this resurrection thing. You have to feel sorry for somebody who puts their faith in the resurrection if you don't believe it. You have to pity them. But if it's true, but if it's true, if Christ really rose from the grave, then faith is produced. Either you believe the resurrection by faith and see the grace of God in the saving work of Christ, or you don't believe it and pity those who have given their one life to something so vain. But praise be to God. Praise be to God that the resurrection is true. That God really did condescend to this earth. That Christ took on flesh. That he was born of the Virgin Mary. That he lived his 33-year life without sin. 
and that he willingly, obediently went to the cross to be crucified so that his blood might be shed for our sins and that he would be buried in a grave so that he might rise again, conquering sin and death, appearing to many, ascending back to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Praise be to God, it's all true. It's all true. That through the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus, God grants faith and repentance and literally raises dead men to new life. Listen to me. If you're here this morning, God can give you new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You must believe. Our preaching is not in vain, but rather it is of significant worth. Preaching the gospel gives us hope, hope of salvation, the promise of sanctification. It edifies the saints. It encourages the soul, and it gives us strength to endure. We're not bearing false witness about God, but rather we are boldly proclaiming the truth. We are witnesses of the resurrecting power of God. I'm living proof of the resurrection because Christ lives in me. I'm a new man. I'm not the old Brian who lived for himself, but I've been made new. We're witnesses of the resurrecting power of God and partakers of him in that resurrection. We have the delight of heralding that truth of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. We do not mourn our dead as if we'll never see them again, but just as Christ rose from the grave, we believe the dead in Christ will rise again on the day of his return and be united with Christ for all eternity. That's what the resurrection has accomplished. Our faith is not in vain. It's not worthless. It is firmly grounded in the one true God, and according to the word of God, our faith is in the one who saves us. And praise be to God, we are not still in our sins but we have been forgiven through the blood of Christ. And we have hope that we will one day be able to stand in the presence of God justified by the righteousness of Jesus. No, our faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not in vain. It is not empty. It is filled with the eternal worth of God who created, sustains, saves, and keeps us that covenant that Stephen spoke about in tasting the truth, he's keeping it. He's keeping that covenant on our behalf. We are not to be pitied, but envied. We're to be envied for our position as co-heirs in the kingdom of his beloved son. Well, how do we apply? How do we apply the resurrection? That's probably the greatest question that we could ever answer. I want to go back to the first two verses. Paul says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here's our application right from those first two verses. If you've never received the gospel, receive it. Receive the gospel. Believe the gospel. Stand in the gospel. Hold fast to the gospel. And saints, 
preach the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is with much delight that we believe. All our hope is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. And Father, we're thankful that we're not to be pitied, but to be envied, not because of something that we've done, but because of your covenant-keeping promise that you would pay the price for our sins and that you rose victorious, giving evidence that that work had been accomplished. Lord, I pray that you would grant faith today in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.